let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Rev. Richard C. Whitcomb. On January 20th, 1824, Sir Charles McCarthy camped by the River Pra on the border of the Ashante Confederacy. McCarthy was a brigadier general in the British Army and Britain's appointed governor of West Africa. As the head of all British forces in the Gold Coast and as the representative of the king himself, McCarthy felt confident in his plan to attack the Ashanti Kingdom. Things certainly looked favorable to McCarthy. He had a force of over 12,000 men at his command. And on that very night, these troops were on the move to join him at the River Pra. He was well supplied and had superior weaponry over the outnumbered Ashantis. In addition to that, rumors had reached him that there were defectors among the Ashantis who were willing to break from their king and join forces with the British. As McCarthy looked out over the River Pra into enemy territory, he was certain of victory. Yet in spite of all those advantages, Sir Charles McCarthy made a serious and fatal error of judgment. He overlooked the essential keys needed for victory. And the very next day, he would suffer a humiliating defeat on the battlefield, all because he neglected some fundamental truths of warfare. McCarthy's trouble began when he misunderstood the enemy. On January 21st, when 10,000 Ashanti warriors gathered on the shores of the Pra River opposite the British, McCarthy failed to recognize the threat. He assumed the warriors were defectors who were there to surrender. So he instructed the British band to play, God save the king loudly. In response, the 10,000 Ashanti warriors beat war drums and prepared to attack. Then, when McCarthy realized he was in real battle, he ordered up supplies and ammunition. But when they opened the crates of bullets, they found macaroni. Hey! Instead of the right weapons, they had the wrong supplies. The British quickly ran out of bullets, and the Ashanti warriors easily overcame them in hand-to-hand combat. But perhaps worst of all was the fact that McCarthy didn't wait for all his troops to gather before commencing the battle. Though there were 12,000 British troops nearby, McCarthy began the fight with only 500 men on hand. And so it was, on January 21st, 1824, Britain suffered its worst military defeat ever on Ghanaian soil. McCarthy himself died in battle, and hundreds of his troops were killed, wounded, or captured as the Ashantis won a resounding victory. And it all came about because McCarthy failed to remember the essential keys needed for victory. There's a powerful lesson for all of us in the true story of Britain's worst military defeat here in Ghana. For you see, what is true in earthly warfare is often true in spiritual warfare as well. You may have everything you need to win a battle, but if you fail to understand the truth about spiritual warfare, you will end up losing a fight you should have won. For example, your troops have to be submitted to their leader. There has to be proper communication in the army. And you have to make sure you use the right weapons. For the fact is, the way you engage in the battle will determine your success or failure. That's why it's so important that when you engage in spiritual warfare, you know the difference between supernatural and superstition. 
You need to know the keys to victory according to God's word, not man's superstitions. By God's grace, that's what we're going to learn today in our sermon entitled, Spiritual Warfare or Spiritual Weird. But before we go on, let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you that you've given us everything we need to win every battle against the enemy. We pray today, Lord, that you will enlighten our minds to remember the fundamental truths from your word about spiritual warfare. Give us the grace to submit to you, to communicate with you, and to know the right weapons we have in your word. We submit to you now. We bind every voice of the enemy that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to give us light and life, and grace, that we might walk in victory. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want to invite you to take a moment. Join your faith with mine. Put your hand on your chest and pray after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Truth for Today. It's great to have you here with me as we come to the conclusion of our sermon series titled Supernatural or Superstition. I trust that this sermon series has been a blessing to you, and I'm sure that God is using this truth to change your life. I believe with all my heart that these are important foundational teachings. We all need to hear and heed God's truth so that we can experience his supernatural power and presence in our lives. For the truth is, these are such important messages because there is so much deception in the world and in the church today. In Matthew 24, Jesus warned us about the end time deception. He told us that there would be many, somebody say many, many false prophets who would go about deceiving many people. So don't be surprised when you see thousands of prophets and pastors springing up on every street corner. Jesus said it would happen. And he warned us that many of them are fake. They are men of greed, not men of God. Sadly, these men of greed are leading people astray. Rather than helping people get close to God, they're getting people hooked on superstition. They practice a temple model of religion that focuses on a sacred place with a sacred text and sacred objects controlled by a sacred few. But God has called all of us to the supernatural, not to superstition. He's called us, you and me, to experience his power, his presence, and his promises. He's called us to be his holy priests, filled with his Holy Ghost, so that we can expand his holy kingdom on earth. He's called you and I to live in the supernatural power of God so we can cast out the enemy and bring freedom to people everywhere. And that brings us to today's message as we uncover the third main arena for deception in the church, spiritual warfare. See, if you're going to live in the supernatural, you're going to encounter opposition from the enemy. You have to know how to prevail so that you can accomplish God's purposes. Yet spiritual warfare is one of the main areas where people are caught up in superstition rather than experiencing God's supernatural power. 
power. Perhaps it's because the devil is such a frightening figure to so many people. Maybe it's because as the end times draw near, the spiritual warfare in the heavenlies increases. But there's no doubt, whatever the reason, that spiritual warfare is one of the main arenas for deception in the church. Many Christians believe they're engaging in spiritual warfare, but in reality, they're just spiritually weird. Many Christians want to move in the supernatural power of God to defeat the enemy, but in reality, they're just practicing superstition. So how can we discern between supernatural and superstition when it comes to spiritual warfare? How can we engage in truly effective spiritual warfare rather than simply being spiritually weird? Well, that's what we're going to discover today as we study God's word found in Ephesians 6, 11 to 13. Now, receive the word of the Lord. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you, you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody shout, Amen. Take note of a few important principles found in these verses. First of all, the Bible makes it clear that the devil is is real. It's not superstition to believe that Satan is real and that he has specific strategies to attack us. The Bible says in no uncertain terms that there is a spiritual battle going on all around us. In fact, whether you like it or not, every believer who lives in the supernatural power of God is engaged in spiritual warfare. But the Bible also goes on to tell us that you cannot engage in spiritual warfare using earthly weapons. We're not fighting flesh and blood. So we need spiritual weapons to wage spiritual warfare. That's why it's so important to make sure you're moving in the supernatural, not in superstition. Your flesh and blood efforts won't make any impact against the devil. Some churches today tell their members to bring brooms and machetes to prayer meeting. They tell their members to come with brooms to sweep out the devil and machetes so they can cut the devil to pieces. What? The Bible says we're not fighting against flesh and blood. So how can you use a broom and a cutlass to do spiritual warfare? Nonsense. That's not spiritual warfare. That's spiritual weird. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke not your cutlass. Some churches tell their members to stomp their feet and claim they are stomping out the devil. Hey! But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You can't stop the devil by stomping on him with your feet. That's not spiritual warfare. That's spiritual weird. So today, let me give you three essential keys for victory in spiritual warfare. And here's your first key today, a surrendered will. Now, this truth might surprise you at first. You may be wondering, what does submission to God have to do with spiritual warfare? But the fact is, you cannot engage in spiritual warfare against the devil if you are not submitted to God. That's what the Bible tells us in James 4, 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Without submission to God, there is no power to resist the devil. Satan is not obligated to flee from you when you're not submitted to God. You can shout and scream all you want, but unless you are under God's authority, you have no authority. In other words, spiritual warfare is one from a place of relationship with God, not from rituals. That's the lesson we learned from the story found in Acts 19. Listen to what the Bible says. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. So these men were not submitted to God, and therefore they had no power. They used the name of Jesus, but it had no impact because they were not submitted to the authority of Jesus. Notice that they were using an incantation. They were reciting some religious mumbo-jumbo and adding the name of Jesus to it. And that's not spiritual warfare. That's spiritual weird. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. You will never have the authority of Jesus if you try to use the name of Jesus without possessing the nature of Jesus. You can't plead the blood of Jesus when your own sins have not been covered by that blood. You can't rebuke the devil when your own life deserves a rebuke from God. That's why the character of a man of God is more important than his charisma. His lifestyle means far more than his dressing style. It doesn't matter how fashionably he dresses or how loud he shouts or how much he prophesies or how much he boasts about his power. If a so-called man of God does not possess the nature and character of Jesus, then he does not have the authority of Jesus. For you cannot share Christ's victory over Satan if you don't share Christ's nature. In fact, when you disobey God, you engage in the same rebellion as the devil. First Samuel 15, 23 says, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So how can you overcome the devil when you're acting just like the devil yourself? Hey, when you live in perpetual sin, you open the door in your life to the enemy. When you refuse to submit to God and to his authority, you open the door to the enemy in your own life. And you cannot engage in spiritual warfare when you won't submit to God. A few weeks ago, a man came up to me after church and said he wanted to talk to me. He then proceeded to tell me that he wanted me to be his spiritual father. Well, I had just finished preaching, and I couldn't speak to him in depth, so I asked him to give his contact to my personal assistant. But to my surprise, when I asked him to give his contact details to my PA so we could call him later, the man said no. He refused to speak to anyone other than me. Friend, how can you want me to be your spiritual father when you won't even do one simple thing I asked you? 
If you won't do what I ask you to do, then you're on your own. I am not covering you. And the same thing is true with God. How can you expect God to cover you and care for you and protect you and father you when you won't even do the simple things he requires of you? God has no obligation to care for those who have no commitment to obey him. So do not blame every problem in your life on the devil. Not every problem is demonic in origin. When you live in sin, you've opened the door for the devil yourself. When you live in submission to God, then you are protected from the devil. That's why 1 John 5.18 says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue in sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. Stop being spiritually weird and start submitting to God. Recently, I heard a news item about a woman in the USA who ordered food at a restaurant and then refused to pay. When she took her food from the server, she told the server, God will take care of this. Then she ran away with her food. That's not spiritual warfare. That's spiritual weird. The police arrested the lady in a park nearby while she was eating. Hmm. Listen, friends, God commands you to pay your bills. God commands you to treat others fairly. Don't bind the devil and then cry out to God when you're the one cheating others. If the problem is demonic, bind the devil. If the problem is your flesh, discipline your flesh. You can't discipline a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. And some of your battles have more to do with your flesh than they do with demons. You can bind the spirit of gluttony, but at the end of the day, you need to discipline yourself and eat less. Somebody say amen. You can bind the spirit of lust, but at the end of the day, you need to stop watching pornography. This reminds me of the young man who came to me some years ago for prayer. He was committing fornication with his girlfriend. And he felt convicted that he should stop. So he came and said, Reverend, pray for me. I don't know what's happening to me. Is it the devil? Is it a spirit of lust? Every time I visit her, I commit fornication. Then I looked at him and I said, son, you do not have a demon problem. You have a lust problem. You just told me in five simple words why this is happening. You said, every time I visit her. If you want to get delivered and you want to walk in victory, stop visiting your girlfriend alone at night with a condom in your pocket. The problem is not the devil. The problem is you. The principle of power through submission is seen clearly in the life of Jesus. Jesus had more authority over the devil than anyone who ever lived because he was the most submitted man who ever lived. No one on earth had ever seen the level of authority Jesus had because they'd never seen anyone so submitted to God. Jesus always did the will of his Father. He was 100% submitted to the Father, so he had 100% authority over the enemy. Listen to Mark 1, 22 and 27. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders. 
See, victory in spiritual warfare begins when you submit to God. And that brings us to our second essential key. In order to have victory in spiritual warfare, you have to live a life of worship. A life of worship is an essential key to victory over the enemy. When you submit to God and draw near to him in worship, you will always win in spiritual warfare. Here's the amazing truth that makes worship so powerful. Psalm 22.3 says, God inhabits the praises of his people. In other words, when you praise and worship the Lord, he comes down with his presence and his power. And when God comes down, the devil is driven out. When you live in God's presence, the devil flees. When you live in a spirit of worship, the enemy has no place. There is power in worship. That's the lesson we learn from 2 Chronicles 20. The Bible tells us that the people of Israel were facing a very large army made up of three enemy nations. They didn't know what to do. But then in verse 21, the Bible says, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. At the very moment, the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. So when the people of God began to worship, at that very moment, the enemy nations started fighting themselves. Worship brought God's presence, which brought God's victory. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you. Worship is spiritual warfare. Now let me make it clear. Warfare is not the purpose of worship. It's the result of worship. We don't worship to win a battle. We worship because he's worthy. And when we worship, it's an act of devotion. Worship is putting God above all else. It's getting rid of dependence on the flesh and on any other power, on any other idol, and trusting in the Lord alone. That's why worship and superstition cannot exist together. If you worship God, you acknowledge him and him alone as the supreme power over all. And when you worship God, you renounce superstition. You renounce fetishes. You renounce objects. You renounce other powers and other protection. For God is a jealous God. True worship comes when you put him first all the time. Exodus 23 to 5 says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You have to worship Jehovah and him alone. There can be no other God before him, no other God besides him, no other object of worship. You can't divide your loyalty. And I'm asking you today, do you have something in your pocket right now that you're trusting in for protection? Do you have something on your shelf, in your room, that you're trusting in for protection? Are you looking to anything other than Jehovah? Get rid of it, burn it, and turn your heart to him. 
For our God is not one of many. He's the only God. Jehovah is the one true God. And when we worship him, we must worship him and him alone. For he's a jealous God. And he commands you to have no other God at all in your life. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus only. And many folks get into trouble and run to other sources trying to find solutions. But all you need is Jesus. When you worship him, there's no need for any other God. You don't need to be weird. You don't need to add anything to him. No gimmicks, just Jesus. See, God doesn't want to be first in your life. He is your life. There's no room for any other power. He's the only God. You don't need gimmicks, just Jesus. Yet if we're honest today, many of us must acknowledge that we're guilty of cheating on God. He's the only true God, the only God worthy of our worship, yet we divide our loyalty between God and this world. We force Jesus to share our affections with other loves. We've set up idols in our hearts. Some of you, your idol is money. Some of you, your idol is physical pleasure. Some of you, your idol is fame and popularity. You've tried to mix supernatural with superstition. And God is a jealous God. He commands you to worship him alone. And if you truly serve the Lord God Almighty, you cannot divide your love and loyalty with any other object. That's why worship is a way of life, not a few minutes on the weekend. The church service on Sunday is the place you go to get refueled, refilled, restored, and refreshed. But the presence of God goes with you everywhere. And when you practice the presence of God, you will walk in victory. When you maintain a focus on worship everywhere you go, you will see God's power wherever you go. That's the lesson we learned from what happened to Paul and Silas in Acts 16. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in the prison. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. In the prison, in midnight, in chains, in darkness, they worshiped God, and God came down. And I'm telling you today, if you'll start to worship God, you'll get things in perspective. When you start to worship, you'll realize you don't need anything else. You don't need to stomp on the ground. You don't need to shout. You don't need to practice spiritual weird. You won't fear the enemy. Worship puts God in his place and helps you see things as they are. For when God lives in you, his power is at work through you in ways you don't even know, at times you won't even know. When God lives in you, all things are possible. When God lives in you, your life will never be the same. When God lives in you, you can do exploits. When God lives in you, he'll give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. When God lives in you, he'll put off the sackcloth of despair and put on the robe of righteousness. When God lives in you, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will quicken your mortal body when Christ lives in you. That's the lesson we can learn from a couple named Gordon and Norma Yeager. Gordon and Norma were married for 72 years. Wow! Imagine that. 72 years is longer than many people live on earth, much less are married. It was an amazing story of lifelong love. But the most amazing thing was what happened when they died. See, after living together for 72 years, Gordon and Norma stayed together even 
in death. On October 12, 2011, Gordon and Norma were in a car accident. They were placed in an ambulance side by side and rushed to the hospital. In the hospital, they were placed next to each other on beds and they were holding hands. The doctors hooked them up to heart monitors and different machines trying to keep them alive. But unfortunately, the doctors couldn't save them. Gordon died first, still holding Norma's hand. And that was when their children, who'd gathered around them, noticed something odd. Gordon had stopped breathing, but the monitor that was hooked up to his heart showed his heart was still beating. Gordon was not breathing. He had died, but the heart monitor showed a heartbeat. So the children rushed to the doctor and said, what's happening? What's happening? He's not breathing, but the heart monitor shows his heart is beating. Then the doctor explained that because Gordon was holding Norma's hand, the heartbeat of Norma was actually passing through Gordon. He had died, but her heartbeat was still passing through his body, causing the heart machine attached to him to show a beating heart. And that is a picture of you attached to Jesus. When you're wrapped up in Jesus, when you worship Jesus, when your hand is in his hand, when you're face to face with Jesus, when you draw close to him, his heartbeat takes over in your life. His supernatural power takes over and lives through you. So arise, arise in worship. Arise to a lifestyle of worship. Take your stance by faith in Jesus. Use the weapons he's given to you and enforce the victory that he's won for you. And that brings us to our third essential key for victory in spiritual warfare. To win in spiritual warfare, you have to use the right weapons. Listen to these powerful verses in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, when you first look at this passage, it seems like a classic truth on spiritual warfare. It talks about weapons demolishing strongholds. It talks about waging war against the enemy in the spirit. But then the Bible takes a surprising turn. And rather than focusing on battling witches and wizards, it talks about battling deception in your mind. Instead of teaching us to cast out demons from the possessed, it teaches us to cast out lies from our thoughts. Because see, in order to win the invisible war, you have to understand where your greatest battle with Satan is coming from. If you fight on the wrong battlefield, you may win some battles, but you'll end up losing the war. And your greatest battle with the enemy is over control of your mind. Your greatest battle is not a power encounter. Your greatest battle is a truth encounter. This is the lesson we learned from the life of Jesus. Our Lord had many 
power encounters with Satan, and he won all of them. When demon-possessed people came to Jesus, he cast out the evil spirits. When sickness bound people, Jesus bound the devil and sent him packing. When unclean spirits cried out, Jesus shut them up. When the devil caused the wind and waves to attack his boat, Jesus made them cease. All these are examples of the power encounters Jesus had with the devil. Yet there was another encounter, a different encounter that Jesus faced, and that was a truth encounter. The Bible tells us in Matthew 4, 3 to 11, that Jesus was alone in the wilderness when Satan came to tempt him. Three times the devil tempted Jesus, and for each temptation, Jesus responded with truth. Three times Satan tried to plant lies in the mind of Christ, and three times Jesus responded not by rebuking the devil, not by telling the devil to leave, but by speaking God's word. Think about this for a minute. When Satan came to Christ in the wilderness to tempt him, Satan attacked his mind and thoughts. Satan brought lies to Jesus. He didn't attack his health. He didn't attack his spirit or body. He attacked his mind and tried to overcome Jesus with lies. And in the temptation of Jesus, we discover a surprising truth. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he didn't bind the devil. He didn't cast him out. Jesus didn't even pray. Jesus used truth to defeat the devil. And the same weapon of truth is what will win the victory for us when we face our greatest battle. See, the fact is, Satan is already a defeated foe. If we face him in a power encounter, we win every time. The name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus send the devil packing. But the reason the devil is still causing havoc in our lives is not because we're losing power encounters we have. It's because we're losing truth encounters. When we bind him in prayer, he flees. But when he attacks us in our minds and we believe his lies, he comes back and defeats us. For the truth is, you can't live a victorious life with a defeated mind. You can't win spiritual warfare when you believe a lie. And your ability to fight spiritual warfare and win is based on your acceptance of the truth. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 6.14, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth. Everybody say truth. The belt of truth is what holds all the other parts of your armor together. The truth is what helps you stand your ground and win. For the fact is, it's the truth that sets us free. We're all familiar with those famous words of Jesus found in John 8, 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But take a moment and step back and read the verse just before it. Right before that verse, Jesus said, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He said this in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And that's the key, my friends. The truth found in God's word will set you free when you abide in it. When you follow God's word, you'll encounter the supernatural and avoid superstition. You've got to get God's word inside of you. You've got to fill your heart and your mind with God's truth and let it live in you. For the truth won't set you free if you don't believe it. The truth won't set you free if you don't accept it. The truth won't set you free if you don't love it and embrace it. The truth will only set you free 
when you reject the lies of Satan and embrace God's word. Let it abide in you and you in it. For God does not ask you to fight in the flesh. He tells you to stand in faith in his truth. He doesn't want you to act weird. He wants you to stand on his word. It's simple. Our greatest weapon against the enemy is the truth of God's word. In fact, God gives us several pieces of armor to protect ourselves against the enemy. The helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness. But God only gives us one weapon to fight the enemy. And that one weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Ephesians 6 says, In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If you believe God's Word, you don't need spiritual weird. You'll have victory in spiritual warfare when you stand and use the Word of God to do battle. For God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. That's why the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.15, it's the scriptures that make you wise to salvation. It's not knowing where the problem comes from that makes you wise. It's not knowing who is chasing you that makes you wise. It's not knowing who your enemy is that makes you wise. It's knowing God's word. It's knowing God's truth. That's what makes you wise. That's what makes you successful. That's what will give you victory in spiritual warfare. You can't fight the devil using demonic powers. You cannot fight him using superstition. You can't fight him using occult or fake prophets. You can't fight him with any other object. When you do, you will open up your life to more demonic activity and darkness. The only weapon you need is the weapon of God's Word mixed with your faith. You don't need spiritual weird. Stand in faith. Declare His Word. Jesus has triumphed over all other powers. The Word declares that I have authority in the name of Jesus. The Word declares that I have authority to pull down strongholds. The Word declares I have authority in the name of Jesus to move mountains. The Word declares not by might, not by power, not by weird chanting or loud shouting, not by speaking in tongues, not by twisting and spinning. Not by stomping and clapping. Not by screaming and shaking. It's not by sweeping a broom or hitting the ground with a cutlass. It's by one thing alone. The authority given to you in Jesus. For in Christ, you are an overcomer. And I challenge you today. Learn the truth about spiritual warfare. Run away from spiritual weird. Surrender your will to God. And you will experience the authority of God. Live a life of worship. And you will carry God's presence everywhere you go. The enemy will flee from you as you walk in supernatural power and use the right weapon. Pick up the sword of the Spirit. Abide in the Word of God. Let it abide in you. Fill your mind and fill your mouth with God's Word and you will always triumph over Satan. If you believe it, say amen and amen. Let me pray for you now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray you'll give your people understanding today. Help us to run away from spiritual weird and let us embrace true spiritual warfare. As we submit to you, let us pick up your authority. As we worship you, let the enemy flee. As we take the sword of the Spirit, immerse us in your word that we might do battle 
and enforce your victory on earth. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Legon. If you are ever in Accra, we will like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.